Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of React Native Radio. This week on our panel, we have Josh Justice. Hello, hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And this week, we have a special guest, and that's Mehul Mohan. Thanks for having me. Infinite Red is a U.S.-based consultancy specializing in React and React Native. They do mobile app and web design and development. They are deeply involved in the React and React Native open source communities, publish the React Native newsletter with 10,000 subscribers, and are involved with the React Native core development. If you have a project and need design or engineering help from an experienced team to take it all the way from concept to completion, get in touch with Infinite Red. Also check out Chain React, the React Native conference, which is hosted by Infinite Red in July in Portland with 500 developers from all around the world. You can find them at infinite.red. Make sure to mention you heard about them in this ad. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself real quick? Uh, it looks like you've got kind of an interesting background and plenty to talk about here. But yeah, just tell us who you are, uh, where you work, why you're famous. Sure. So I'm Mehul, as Charles mentioned, and uh, I consider myself as a full stack developer who is usually working with JavaScript technologies, including React, like React on the web and React Native. I run a YouTube channel named CodeDam, which has around 100K subscribers now and over 13 million views. And the wow. channel consider, channel involves all the content usually related with JavaScript, like Angular, Vue, its frameworks like that. But uh, my favorite stack is Monstack, which is Mongo, Express, React, and Node. And uh, you would usually find me working with that particular stack only. Apart from this, um, apart from CodeDAM as a YouTube channel, I'm also working on CodeDAM as a web platform to enable people to have a better learning experience when they first um, come to programming and provide a solidified path for them to actually learn programming in a better way, not in a scattered way. So that's something I'm still working on. But yeah, I'm making progress over there too. Very yeah. cool. So, yeah, so that all sounds really exciting. Um, I know I, I kind of came into programming from a more traditional, they say, computer science background, but I'm so uh -huh. excited that more and more people are coming to programming from varied backgrounds. Um, did you find that you, um, like that your YouTube channel was getting a lot of interest from folks who were coming into programming for the first time, or how did you get interested in kind of addressing them in particular? Yeah, that's right. So, um, uh, earlier, what I used to do is I myself used to look at other YouTubers channels and learn from them. I used to see websites and I used to wonder like how you can actually create beautiful widgets like subscribe to us boxes and everything. So that eventually got me into HTML and CSS. Then when I tried to learn from different sources like some playlist on YouTube, some documentation, some other article, I found out that a lot of uh, sources are missing one information on another. So I decided to actually use my information to create videos, which would eventually group everything which is missing from every other source and uh, actually be valuable to the end user. So I did not create, um, actually create a channel for a couple of reasons. The first one is actually helping others to see what I have learned through various resources, through various different sources. And secondly, when you teach something, um, the concepts eventually get better. So this point, um, uh, I believe, uh, I strongly believe in this because I've seen that the topics I learn and when I teach them again, I eventually get a lot better in them. 
So that's uh, one very good advantage I have. Yeah, I've definitely yeah. seen that as well. Like I can just get by if I'm just doing something myself, but if I have to explain it, all of a sudden the inconsistencies in my thinking kind of come out exactly. and I get clearer. I have to, I have to learn it better. So that's a great, that's a great point. Exactly. Yeah, I've had the same experience yeah. where I, I sit down. It's the same concept, I guess, is like rubber ducking when you're stuck on a problem. You start explaining right. the problem and then your brain goes to all the other things that are related to it and go, you kind of go, oh, oh, I, I guess I don't understand that as well as I thought, you know, instead of the, oh, I bet the solution somewhere in that area. Exactly. Sometimes like even when you're explaining the problem to yourself, the solution would just pop out. So yeah, that really helps. So what functionality exists on the, uh, the, the learning website? Does it walk you through tutorials? Are there exercises on the website? Like how does it work? So for now, what I'm trying to do is um, codedam.com, which is the web, web platform. I'm trying to build this with the help of community. That means that I'm assembling all the best tutorials which we have on YouTube, which are free and um, free Udemy courses, you can say. Plus, I'm trying to reach out to other creators which shoot content, which I do not create right now. For example, um, tensorflow.js is there, which is the machine learning equivalent of uh, uh, TensorFlow in Python in JavaScript. So. I do not work with machine learning, so I need to have some creators which are working with that technology. So we, we could bring that particular piece of technology on CodeDAM and allow people to learn that thing. So eventually what I'm planning to do is expand CodeDAM into a platform which would enable um, all sorts of learners to learn various technologies, not only as discrete technologies, like not only as just learn Node or learn Express, but actually as some sort of packages, which is like, if you want to get a job in this X company, you need to learn this particular stack, which is required by that particular company. And eventually um, that particular package would take the user through a series of courses. Like if you want to get into web development, it will take you through HTML, CSS, JavaScript, maybe uh, React or Angular or Vue or whatever you prefer. And then maybe a little bit of backend or server deployment using Nginx or Apache 2 and uh, DevOps, something like that. So I'm trying to build those packages, this, those little packages, which are available to the end user for a complete understanding of how to get into a single field. So that's the end goal. But eventually for now, I'm trying to get as much free high quality content from you sources like YouTube as possible, as well as collaborate with other creators on YouTube or on Udemy or whatever uh, good sources we have. So yeah, I'm working on that for now. Cool. And you said that um, you're also working on a React Native app version of the site? Yes, that's right. So uh, we have the main website, codedam.com, which is for web. For mobile applications, we have React Native, which supports iOS and Android out of the box. So you get a lot of code shared. Plus, since the backend is written in GraphQL, you get the same backend as well for the application as well. So yeah, and the frontend is written in React. So most of the code is actually same in that sense as well. So that's really convenient to actually um, create web application once. And most of your logic is just same for mobile applications as well. So a lot of people, you said that your site is written in React. And a lot of people come to React Native thinking, oh, well, I'll just, you know, flip a switch and I'm automatically on mobile. And you said that a lot of your logic is the same. I'm assuming your UI is is different, though. 
So, you know, yeah, what, the, what, what did you get to keep and what did you have to actually, I guess, rewrite in order to get it over to React Native? And what parts of your code can you maintain for both? That's right. Um, the thing is that with the React Native, you can share the functionality that is your JavaScript code almost um, 90 to 100%, right? I would say that. But for the UI part, that just like you said, it's completely different because React Native has a different set of elements. You have to use a different set of layout structure. And on the web, we have different elements, like we have div tags, we have p tags. On React Native, we use um, things like views and text views and other things for the UI part. So definitely the UI is uh, one differentiating factor. But for example, if you have Redux in your application on the web, you can pretty much just go ahead and implement that complete thing. Just copy, literally you have to copy paste the folders from web application to your React mobile application, make a bunch of changes and you're done. So that's it's that simple. And uh, if you ask anyone who has implemented a complicated Redux application, you would find that Redux is pretty hard to implement at the first go, right? So if you're coming from a web background where you have a sophisticated web application in place and you are building the mobile application of that, I guess React Native provides that um, as a very convenient way if you're moving from a React front-end to React Native mobile application. You get a lot of bits and pieces just lying there. You just have to pick them up and uh, push them in the correct spot, and you're good to go. Now, so, are you using um, Expo uh, or are you using a React Native CLI? It's kind of the, the normal React Native way to run the app. I'm not using Expo. Um, Expo, it's, I, I, I really believe Expo is uh, a very good solution to a lot of problems, but Eventually, what you want to do is you want to have native access at some point if you want really fine-tuned customizability in your application. And Expo right now does not provide that. So Expo is an amazing tool if you want to just build your applications using JavaScript. And uh, basically, you can work with the existing packages. But sometimes what happens is, even, even this is true right now, because React Native is not very mature. It's still in its 0.x stage, which is not the stable one, I would say. So sometimes what happens is there are bugs which you can only debug or maybe you can only fix when you have actual access to the native code base. So for me, I always think that um, working with Expo and working with React Native CLI is both, both kind of same for me because if you understand React Native CLI, React Native Expo is just like the syntactic uh, sugar over React Native CLI. So yeah, you can basically get the same experience from the native CLI itself, which you get from Expo. Expo just gives you a little bit of spoon feeding of, uh, you know, a nice UI. You get all that abstraction from native. But eventually, I believe that if you really want to harness the power of both JavaScript and native worlds, React Native CLI is really the way to go. Now, had you ever uh, worked with native iOS or Android apps before working with React Native? Yes, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, this last March, Apple actually releases a competition called, uh, like it's for scholars. So if you win that particular competition, you just have to create an application in that. 
if you win that particular competition, you get a ticket to WWDC 19, which happened last month, last to last month in June. So you have to create an application for that. That is obviously purely native in Swift. So I worked on that and I won that. So I was in San Jose last to last month attending the conference. So yeah, to your answer to your question, yeah, I worked with iOS native before. Very cool. Yeah. Do you, yeah. so, so I'm a comparison person. I go get my, myself into trouble with some of the other podcast hosts and the other podcasts, but when I'll say it in a positive way, when, you know, having done a native app as you know, native iOS, as well as react native, like say you're on a future project in the future, like how, like what, what might cause you to reach for building native iOS in the normal way versus reaching for react native on a given project? Okay. That's a good question. Um, I would say that I would usually go with native if I have a lot of functionalities which React Native is using right now as provide which React Native provides as in a in a hackish way. For example, I'll tell you one example. So I was implementing one application where I wanted to have some sort of background activity going on with the application. Now with React Native, the deal is that if you're just building for a single platform, um, like Android, it really gets a little bit messy if you want to do stuff in the background. So you have to launch like JavaScript threads in the background because if, essentially what you want is your JavaScript code to be executed in the background. But operating systems like Android and iOS, they want to provide a minimal functionality to your application when you're in the background. So React Native, I really believe where it could work now, right now, is providing access to um, APIs like working in background or timers or stuff like that. Other than that, I believe that React Native is not very strong in some native parts, although um, there are third-party packages like notifications. So those, those kind of things sometimes really get messed up. Plus, just like you said, if you're developing for a single platform, I really believe like usually the native, going the native way would be the answer. React Native really solves the problem of building two applications, not really one. So if you, if you plan to build a single application, in almost every case, I would suggest um, going native. Unless obviously you have a lot of code base which you can share from the web application. Then it makes sense to actually use a, a tool like React Native. About four years into my career, I got tired of going from job to job where I'd either get laid off from a job I liked or wind up quitting a job that I couldn't take anymore. And eventually, I wound up going freelance. I made a bunch of friends and we started a podcast called The Freelancer Show. The Freelancer Show has been running for about seven years now and features not necessarily the same people that we started the show with, but experts in running a business and people who are out there actually doing freelance work. You can check it out at thefreelancershow.com. Yeah, all those thoughts definitely make sense. And I'm, uh, I'm curious, though, does that offset the... Because essentially, then you have to write two apps, right? One for Android, one for iOS. And then if you want to be on you know, some of the other more obscure platforms, you, know, you have to write an, a separate one for those. So does, does I, I guess, do these concerns trump the concern of the amount of time it's going to take you to learn two systems and write two apps? I mean, eventually, if you want to write two apps, then obviously going with React Native is the obvious choice. But sometimes what happens is um, your customer base is eventually not on a particular platform. 
For example, uh, I met this one lady back in US when I was in US. Her startup actually involved an application, uh, which was, I don't exactly remember, but it was related to some sort of fitness. So you could actually create a schedule for your application, for your fitness class, which was synchronized with your programs. And uh, she told me that their audience base is nobody uses Android, right? And right. They, had an, they had an application where um, the people just had to create a fitness schedule, just add their songs, what they wanted to do, and they would have a plan ready. So in those cases, obviously, it makes sense to actually go with native because if you go with React Native in cases like this, what happens is that, as I said, in React Native CLI, you get access to the uh, native part as well. So essentially, under the hood, you are maintaining not one code base, but two. If you're messing with the native part as well, then you have to maintain the native code as well. Mm -hmm. So you're maintaining the native code as well as the JavaScript code. So if you're just targeting a single platform, then in almost, just like I said, in almost every case, it's better to go with native. However, if you even if you plan to go with two platforms in the future and you have a JavaScript developer on board and you have a decent web application maybe as well, then React Native is a very good choice to go. Right. No, that makes a lot of sense. I think the advantage you have, I mean, you're clearly a learner. I mean, you're focused on learning this stuff and excited about it. And so you want to try, it seems to me, React Native and Native Code to know what to pull from. Uh, some, you know, sometimes people that, you know, some people get down on developers that just want to work 40 hours a week and go doing their own thing. But I think there's a lot of positivity around that. It's like you can be an excellent developer, but then have other hobbies or have lots of family obligations. And so for folks like that, or for companies that don't have, time to invest in all these different things. Like they're more in a bit of a bind where they have to make a decision about what technology to use. And so like getting your perspective, perspective of other people um, to try to figure out which way to make the investment is very helpful. But um, I, as a hobbyist, I, I would love to dabble in this stuff and try them out and get a feel for the pros and cons for sure. Yeah, right. I see you mentioned uh, Flutter on the website. Um, have you played with Flutter yourself? Or is that is that one of those things where it's a technology from other experts that you're just sharing on there without having gotten into yeah. it yourself? No, I'm not actually uh, worked with Flutter as of now. But it's, it's, it looks really promising solution as well. The only reason I've not tried Flutter yet because it involves learning Dart. But I'm like kind of sticking to JavaScript environment and ecosystem for now. I plan to go into there, but I'm taking my time for now. Yeah. Yeah, this is really just interesting to dive into because most of the time I, I either wind up talking to people that have just done Swift or just done um, Android with Kotlin or Java or have just done uh, React Native. And so it's, it's interesting to talk to somebody who's done both and yeah, to see what the trade-offs really are because it doesn't sound like you're a fanboy that's, you know, actively discounting one or the other it's hey look this is where i'd use this and this is where i'd use that and so i i love having the conversation of okay maybe i should consider swift under these circumstances or maybe maybe react native is kind of a slam dunk because i know that i have for example i've thought about building a devchat.tv uh application right and people could then subscribe and get you know uh get exclusive content and things like that through the app and you know so talking to my audience you know, a lot of people use Android and a lot of people use iOS. And so 
yeah, just kind of getting a feel for what the trade-offs are. It, it's really interesting to have the conversation. Yeah, that's right. I think one of the nice things about React Native is it gives us just so many more options. And even some of the recent announcements with more functionality added to React Native, Expo had a talk at Chain React Vatnay talking about more different ways to use Expo that kind of break out of what you just said, Mehul, about it. You know, they want to provide like an easier migration path, or even if you want to do just a few, like just one or two native things, you can still get a lot of benefits for Expo. So it's like there's this whole gradient of types of app you could make from just like React on the web to a PWA to React Native fully in JavaScript to kind of more hybrid approaches. Um, and yet, I think I think it can cause stress for some folks because in the past, like you know, the delineation was very clear. You've got web apps and you've got native apps. Um, but now, like, there's so many more options. Um, I could see it overwhelming some folks. I've certainly been overwhelmed by it in the past. Um, so I guess that's maybe the downside. We have so many more options to choose from to find just the right point for us. But it also can make feel folks feel pressured that they need to learn about all the trade offs. But in a lot of ways, like a lot of these options are good. Like if you pick Expo and it doesn't work out great, you can eject. If you use React Native CLI and you find that you don't need any native functionality, just move all your JavaScript code over to Expo. Like I think um, I would just encourage folks that like you don't you can change these things as you go. You're not set forever with your company or your career with the first technology you try out. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree. Um, the options we have right now are tremendous. I mean, you can. It, you can actually take your website and convert it into an app using frameworks like Ionic as well. So if you have worked with Ionic, it's it's just plain HTML, CSS, JavaScript. So if you even if you don't want to go with React Native, Ionic is like the fastest way you can convert your website into a mobile application, which can also access native parts. Ionic can do that with Cordova. So yeah, as you said, we have tons of options now. And uh, yeah, I would actually look at the bright side of that. That's that's actually a good thing because now people who don't like native can just stick with web and actually work on mobile applications as well. Same with um, the native part. Uh, if you like native, you can build native applications. If you if not, you can switch to like web-based applications, learn HTML, CSS, JavaScript, and eventually create separate code bases for that. So it eventually boils down to one's preferences now, which is, I believe, a very good thing. Any particular challenges you ran into building out the React Native app, um, things that required you to learn a bunch about the native side or things that were tricky um, as you were working on the native app? Definitely. React Native, uh, I would really say React Native is not easy to work with, especially when you're getting started. React Native still has some very nasty bugs. When you get caught into them, it takes you hours and hours to solve, but um, it's usually worth it. You learn a lot of stuff out of it. Once you solve it, you learn how internally React Native works. But yeah, I would say community is very helpful for React Native. For now, what I would see is that you get more solutions from the GitHub issues of React Native repository then you get on Stack Overflow. So that denotes that the part that React Native is so hyperactive, hyper under development right now, that people are actually actively contributing back into the source code directly instead of just spamming Stack Overflow with the questions. Plus, um, apart from that, I would say React Native, um, although it's improving now, but it's pretty difficult to upgrade a React Native version. 
So if you are, if you are on like um, React Native 0.40 or something, and if we want to jump to 0.60, then there would be some major code breaking changes um, in your application. And I would say it if you have a you know a substantially moderate to large application, like in the case of Airbnb, if you have uh, read their four articles on Medium where they dropped React Native, this was one of the points mentioned that React Native um, is eventually it gets very hard to maintain your own separate fork of the repository like Airbnb did. Because uh, the thing is, React Native is moving very fast. It's breaking a lot of things. And eventually, it has to do, unfortunately, it has to do that in order to progress. Right? So, yeah, you should be able to embrace those changes, stick to um, the pattern React Native is following. And for now, you just have to believe in the team. They are doing a great work, but obviously, React Native has a very long way to go. Any particular uh, libraries uh, that you use in your app that were really useful, kind of hidden gems or popular libraries that you uh, really enjoyed reaching for to make your React Native app easy to do? Yeah, let's see. So for UiPath on CodeDAM application, I use React Native Paper. Um, there's, I don't know it's, if it's a company or just an open source organization. It's called Stack. So they create a lot of um, awesome React and React Native stuff. So React Native Paper is the material UI implementation of um, components on React Native, which is cross-platform as well. So for the UI part, I use that. Then we obviously have official plugins for like, if you want to sign in with Google, sign in with Facebook, you can just go ahead, download the official plugins and implement them right away. For Firebase implementation, which is very common these days, we have React Native Firebase. Again, a package named React Native Firebase, which is, again, cross-platform, easy to integrate, and uh, gives you pretty much all the access you would have on a native device, all the notifications, all the cloud messaging, everything. Um, yeah, I guess for, for the libraries part, these two are the React Native Firebase and React Native Paper are the top two which come to my mind. And... Uh, other than that, you can find a lot of, I think there's a GitHub repository which actually lists down all the awesome React Native libraries. I will try to find the link for this and send to you guys so you can just add it to your description. So yeah, that would contain a lot of additional information which would be valuable to the users. So I, I want to change gears just a little bit because you've got this YouTube channel, you've got um, you know, CodeDam where you're teaching people uh, coding. I'm wondering what your approach is. And, and also, do you have a course on React Native? On YouTube? Yeah, I have a course on React Native, both on YouTube and on Udemy as well, as a matter of fact. And uh, yeah, I mean, React Native is a pretty common thing for me nowadays. So obviously, it makes sense to have a course on YouTube for that. So there's a playlist on YouTube for React Native. And there's a course on Udemy, which which are both basic to intermediate. I'm working on an intermediate to advanced React Native course. I'm thinking on working on that. It's, I'm still writing down like the outline of the course, which will eventually involve creating native modules for React Native. Now with React Native, the thing is that these guys are working on something known as Turbo modules, which actually um, acts as a replacement for the JS bridge, which is how internally React Native works, which is going to speed up things a lot in the native world. 
So it would be pretty interesting to see how other native modules which come with React Native uh, would kind of implement that. So at this moment, I'm working on um, creating, I'm working on learning that part of the React Native ecosystem, plus creating a course which is intermediate to advanced on React Native as well. When I'm building a new product, G2i is the company that I call on to help me find a developer who can build the first version. G2i is a hiring platform run by engineers that matches you with React, React Native, GraphQL, and mobile engineers who you can trust. Whether you are a new company building your first product or an established company that wants additional engineering help, G2i has the talent you need to accomplish your goals. Go to devchat.tv G2i to learn more about what G2i has to offer. In my experience, G2i is linked up with experienced developers that can fit my budget, and the G2i staff are friendly and easy to work with. They know how product development works and can help you find the perfect engineer for your stack. Go to devchat.tv G2i to learn more about G2i. Cool. Sorry, I got distracted because I clicked your playlist. <laughs> um, uh, that's right. <laughs> so, so is there an approach that you particularly like uh, to to doing this? Because, yeah, the the link that you sent me was uh, to React Native New Things version, you know, zero point five nine. And so, um, yeah, it looks like it looks like most of these are sort of um, how to videos on specific things. So is there a general walkthrough here or like here's how you get started with an app and here's how you build it out or? I think for the YouTube part, I have a complete application which involves creating a calculator on React Native. Uh -huh. So we go through that. For Udemy part, I guess we have another application involving authentication and login and dashboard, all kind of that stuff using libraries like React uh, uh, React Native Paper, just like I discussed, React Native Firebase, and other libraries. So yeah, I plan to do a lot more React Native stuff, but yeah, I'm just getting started with that. Nice. Now, before the recording, you mentioned you are in university currently, is that right? That's right. Cool. Are you looking to kind of work in teaching full-time in the future after you graduate? Maybe uh, take Codam, you know, public in that way? I might think so, but I'm mostly inclined towards like going into business side. I'm not really sure. I'm still trying to keep my options open, but I really like um, putting out content about what I learn, what I like. And uh, yeah, I'd really like to help people with my content. And if I, if there's a way I could monetize that, that would be like best thing I could do because if you can earn while you're enjoying, so that's kind of the best part. But yeah, I'm keeping my options open for now. Let's see. I'm not saying that I'll just go into learning part, but because I want to explore the business side as well, startups and all that culture. I, I really like that. Guy named uh, Sean Swix Wang. I'm not sure if I pronounced that right. Um, he had this concept he tweeted about called uh, Learn in Public. And I'm trying to find the tweet. I'll put it in, in the show notes if I can find it. I'm sure other folks have talked about it as well. But just about the idea that like while you're learning, share what you're learning at the time. Uh, and uh, that that helps you process in exactly the way that you said, Mehul. Um, and it encourages others, uh, you know, other people that are, you know, starting out like you as well. And uh, it can just help folks to know that it's not like you have to get everything together and become a complete expert before you can share something. Uh, where I work, we talk about that in terms of blogging. Like you don't need to find some piece of engineering that no one in the history of computers has ever shared. Like if, if you find something and you have a way to explain it that was helpful to you, share it. And somebody else is going to connect with that in a way that they won't connect with other resources. And you mentioned curating as well, like finding the things that are the most helpful, the most clear in your mind 
and putting them in one place to share them. So uh, yeah, this, uh, this approach to learning, we all benefit from it. It's really great. Yeah, you're right. So uh, what, what's next for you, Mehul? I'm just thinking to work on CodeDAM for now at the moment. Plus, um, I'm trying to build a good network of people. Like I'm, I've been working with a U.S. startup, so so that I have contacts when I, which eventually I could contact if I need them. I've been working with Free Code Camp as well in the past, so I have made a couple of videos on their YouTube channel, and I really appreciate the things they are doing. So yeah, for the programming side, I just want to push the community forward. Because uh, there are a lot of free resources we have right now and people are still usually paying for the resources they would get for free. So I want to bring those high quality free resources in front of them, first of all. And then I believe that if you want to really level up your game, then you should go ahead for the paid courses. So eventually that's, that's the goal right now is to uh, build a developer platform where people could actually get real value out of free courses and free tutorials and everything free, which the community is already providing, but in a scattered way right now. So, yeah. Yeah, when Chuck and I were growing up, everything was paid for. Chuck, you remember paying for compilers? Uh, compilers? No. <laughs> but the, the training books though, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, then, yeah, you had to buy the books. Learning online was yeah. not really a thing. Yeah, but the shift is... oh. Is very major now. Yeah. You would see you can find literally anything to learn online these days. Even if it's paid, um, it is there, at least we could say that. Yeah, the opportunities that's going to give this so many more folks are really great. Yep, absolutely. Well, I don't know if I have anything else to bring up. Do you, Josh? No, I think I'm good. This is a good conversation. Yep. Mehul, yeah. Mehul, do you have some things you wanted to talk about that we haven't tackled yet? Um, let's see. So what do you guys prefer out of React, Native, Ionic, and uh, let's say Flutter? I've worked maybe a bit more actively in those. Let me speak to that and give Chuck a chance to uh, think it over. I, um, I really love JavaScript. Um, I, one of my big values is just working at the level of abstraction that's appropriate for the app we're building. So as most of the apps that I build, like we're kind of, you could say they're kind of like a user interface for a web service. Like we're pulling down some data, GraphQL, mm -hmm. REST, whatever, showing it on the screen. There's not a lot of differences between native platforms. Um, not a lot of really demanding UI needs or performance needs. And so something like React Native, I think there's so many benefits. Um, the dynamic language is really great. Uh, so many open source packages that you don't see as much in native iOS, I think is really great. Um, so yeah, like React Native really resonates very well with me. Um, I have heard for Ionic, um, some folks would still say, I'm not, I can't remember if it's Ionic or um, some of the other PhoneGap or Cordova technologies, but whichever ones friends of mine have used recently, um, they say that there's still some performance concerns that are noticeable um, that lead them kind of not to prefer it. That makes, means one of the things that I really like about React Native is because it's using real native widgets uh, on the controls, the experience tends to be much smoother, much more realistic. When somebody is using a web, web app in a web browser, their expectations are that it looks and feels like a web app. And so that kind of just makes sense to them. But when they're pulling up a native app, um, they kind of expect it to feel native. And the feedback I've gotten from a lot of folks is that React Native apps tend to be a lot closer to that feel. Um, and so it can just prevent users from having sort of a subconscious discomfort or frustration with it not feeling quite native. Um, 
Yeah, so that, that's what I tend to reach for. Like certainly um, I've got coworkers that do kind of apps that have tons of Bluetooth integrations, very kind of low level hardware stuff. For things like that, like, you know, most of your work would be down in the native code anyways. And so building those as native apps does definitely make sense. So I think there's just a, a big range of options and there's a lot of reasons that people might reach for one of the other different options out there. But for the apps that I do and tend to like to do, I love that high level abstraction that uh, React and React Native provide. How about you, Chuck? So the the solutions that I'm most familiar with, um, I did a podcast on um, iOS development um, over the course of when they basically um, created and adopted Swift. Um, so we talked about Objective-C for a couple of years and then about Swift for a couple of years uh, on that show. And so I'm fairly familiar with the processes there. Um, funny enough, I never actually got down and really uh, dedicated myself to writing an app. So, so I kind of know how that uh, goes. I haven't looked at Flutter much. Um, I know the folks at Ionic fairly well and I've, I've built a couple of sample apps with it and it's pretty approachable. Like I'm coming at it more from the um, beginner aspect. You know, I've done a bunch of web development. And now I'm looking at mobile. Um, very, very approachable. Um, I've fiddled a little bit with um, with React Native, and I'm I'm actively trying to learn it now, um, just because I've showed up on this show a bunch of times and I feel like I need to know it better. Um, but that said, um, yeah, I mean, there there are definite trade offs, but they're they're both fairly, they're fairly approachable to pick up if you're a web developer. And so what I found is for the most part, it's like, okay, um, you know, how do I think about this set of problems differently from how I think about, you know, whatever else, you know, how I do it on the web. And so just, just kind of getting my hands in and getting them dirty that way. I'm also not um, a crack React developer. And so that's been, you know, that's been a, an obstacle for me as far as learning React Native, um, just because a lot of the documentation assumes that you've done some React. But, you know, all of that basically to say that, yeah, you know, I, I like them both. Um, I will say that the fact that uh, React Native, yeah, tends to use the native widgets leads me to lean a little bit more that way, just because it's going to look and feel um, more like that native app. And so that's a direction that I'm, very seriously considering. And I probably will wind up building a dev chat app here soonish. Um, and, and funny enough, I went out and talked to uh, the folks over at Infinite Red about um, doing a dev chat app. And of course, my little project was nowhere close to the kind of budget that they're typically aiming for, right? And so what they told me to do is actually to go find a template. And I found that finding React Native um, like templates or examples is actually not terribly hard. There are a lot of them out there. You can find something that's relatively close to what you're doing. And uh, so I like that as well. There are some Ionic templates, um, but yeah, it's, it's just a little bit different from, uh, you know, what's available in React Native. So, yeah. Yeah, so both of you guys mentioned uh, about the performance part in uh, like the hybrid application, Josh, just like you said, Ionic is uh, people usually say that, yeah, I have heard that as well, that people are usually a little bit skeptical about Ionic because of the performance issues. Um, I think that statement was very much true in 2015, but in 2019, we have so powerful devices, which are very cheap. So I really believe that Ionic has a really, really good 
time coming up because what we have now is that devices are becoming very powerful, which eliminates away those performance issues almost completely. Yeah. I would say Ionic can run 60 FPS native. It can access cameras. It can access geolocation, all that native stuff. Plus, it can eventually use harness the power of HTML and CSS3, which eventually could be used to create, recreate all those native looking like widgets as well. Now, this usually meant uh, in the past that you would have a penalty on performance, but because we are getting so much powerful devices at a very cheap price, I think a very good time for Ionic is coming. But yeah, obviously people usually appreciate the native aspect only. But uh, yeah, I believe that uh, this is one thing we can keep our eye on. So yeah, the the other thing is, is that um, it usually uses the browser technology that you have on your phone anyway, for, you know, things like um, Safari, or, you know, Chrome, or what what have you. And so what you wind up running into is yeah, that it's going to get faster in that way too, because it's going to use the same engine that it's using there, and that's all going to be optimized well. So between the increase in the power of the device and the optimizations that they're able to put in just just for web technologies, yeah, the, the performance isn't going to be the issue. Yeah, because for React Native as well, um, if at least if you're on iOS, you are bind, you're bound to use the Safari WebKit engine because that, that's a restriction. You have to execute your JavaScript, which you have written somewhere, right? So on, if you are using an iOS device, you have to use the WebKit JavaScript engine, which is available. On Android, how, what we have right now is that uh, React Native lo- recently launched a JavaScript engine called React Native Hermes, if you have heard about it. So it's, it's actually a three to four times increase in performance, decrease in size. It's, it's you know everything good you can imagine about a JavaScript engine. So yeah, on Android, we have React Native Hermes, which is super fast from previous implementations. And on iOS, um, we still have that uh, WebKit engine because of the Apple restrictions. So yeah, as uh, coming to the point, uh, I was saying that Ionic, as you said, it runs in a WebKit-based environment, in a browser-based environment. That is true. But yeah, as the performance of these devices increase, eventually end user would benefit anyway, right? And it would be easier for web developers as well to just make their responsive websites directly into an application. So I would say overall for the community, it's a win-win. You're getting at the idea of don't make assumptions about performance, like test it to find out. Yeah. I think that just applies in so many different areas, especially if you've got a React app or, or View app or something else on the web, like why not load it into Ionic, give it a try, see how it runs, see how it feels. Um, you know, I, I'm not about you know choosing the platform to build something on based on dogmatism, like this is how you must do it. Like I want to know the actual pros and cons, the actual benefits that I'm getting for the cost of the time it's going to take to redevelop or the time it's going to take to keep two or three platforms in my head. Um, so understanding the real trade-offs by actually doing a quick test. Um, you know, Spend a day trying out Ionic. Spend a week trying out React Native if you've only done React Web before and seeing yep. how much you can build, seeing how it feels, seeing how much of your JavaScript kind of business logic layer comes over and how much does not. So doing quick tests like that can really pay off. Exactly. I mean, if you're a great gaming company, it makes sense to just go truly native, right? But if you're a e-commerce company which wants to get 
into mobile market in a week, then I think Ionic makes the best sense if you have a, you know, a already available responsive website. If you have a larger time frame and you want to incline more towards the native side, I believe React Native is a very good choice. So eventually we have a lot of tools which does the same thing. It really boils down to what your specific requirements are, what you want to do, and what trade-offs are you willing to pay. So yeah, that really depends on uh, company to company and their product, what they're trying to develop. That is really important. You know, if your website doesn't already have a focus on of some information like this, I think learning about trade-offs, uh, learning about how to pick a technology could be valuable alongside information about how to learn the technology. Um, and, uh, you know, there's certainly, I've seen a range of quality between people uh, and the comparison articles versus ones that are really insightfully talking about the different technologies and what they do versus others that just measure the download size and how quickly you can get a hello world up. Okay, maybe that's not the most useful bit of data to share. So yeah, I think that, you know, as someone, and you mentioned being a full stack developer, so you're interested in these kind of the range of technologies as well. Yeah, I think, I think there's lots of need for resources of good perspectives on the trade-offs. Yeah, you're right. Yep. I'm working on it. <laughs> All right, well, I'm running into uh, my regular uh, time crunch, forces to the end of the show kind of thing. So, uh, sure. Mahul, um, real quick, wh where do people find you online? They can find me online on YouTube. That is my CodeDam channel. They can find me online on CodeDam.com. I'm basically on Twitter as well, at the rate MahulMPT. That's my Twitter handle. That's the best way actually to reach out to me. Or you can reach out to me through email as well, MahulMPT at the rate gmail.com. Awesome. All right, well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Josh, do you want to start us off with picks? Sure. I have a couple this week. Um, one of them is probably pretty well known in the React and React Native communities, but I need to plug it anyways. It's Formic, the form handling library. Um, talking about operating at a high level of abstraction, that's the thing I love about Formic. Um, it removes some of the boilerplate in React forms of having to kind of update the state. Um, it kind of puts validation in one centralized place, um, it, you know, executing, you know, kicking off a submit action in one centralized place. And on the consultant project that I just rolled off of, with uh, the, the team was Rails developers. They were pretty new to React. Um, and so we found that using Formic was just putting an abstraction in place that was going to make it easier for them to see what a form was really trying to do and less of the incidental implementation details. So Formic is great on the web. It's great in React Native. I highly recommend it. And uh, Kenza Araki actually gave a talk at Chain React talking about Formic and a few other form libraries, specifically from a React Native standpoint. So that's great to check out as well. My other pick is a Netflix show. It's called The Toys That Made Us. Um, so this is about uh, toys from the 1980s, 1970s, 1990s um, that some folks may have grown up with. And it was really interesting. Um, I found out about it through some tweets about the He-Man episode where the uh, people who were you know, creating this toy line were talking about being in meetings and just coming up off the cuff. Oh, there's going to be a comic series. Oh, there's going to be a two-part uh, you know, movie special. Um, and so hearing the stories behind some of these toys, the drama, the uh, cross-toy company bitter rivalry, um, has been really interesting. Oh, man. There's episodes about Lego, Barbie, Hello Kitty, G.I. Joe, Star Wars, a few other ones. Um, so yeah, if you have Netflix, check out The Toys That Made Us. And that's my picks. That sounds fun. Just like a fun show. Um, I'm going to throw out a couple of picks, I guess. Um, the first one is, is I mentioned that I picked up a, um, react native template and, uh, I'm, I'm going to have some time this week, um, to do things that are a little bit out of band, I guess, because I'm going to be at podcast movement. And so I'm hoping in my downtime to write a little bit of react native and, and play with that. 
So I guess I'll pick the podcast movement conference. Um, that's going to be in Orlando this year. People are telling me, yeah, just go to the theme park. We'll see. Um, and then, yeah, I, I got the theme from, or the, the template theme, whatever, the example project, whatever you want to call it. I got that off of themeforest.net. Actually, I think it's Code Canyon. They, so it's, it's in envato.com and they have a whole bunch of different. So Code Canyon is where you can get code. Uh, theme Forest is where you can get like website templates and things like that. Anyway, I got it off of one of those. They also have like Audio Jungle, which is where I usually get um, podcast movement or movement. I get podcast music and things like that. So um, anyway, lots of great stuff there. And yeah, I, I guess those are my... Oh, I have one more pick. So I have been reading this book called Atomic Habits by James Clear. And it is terrific. Um, basically just breaks down um, why we do what we do and then how to set up habits to make it sort of automatic for you to do the, the things that you want to get done. And he has four, you know, uh, temp or four ideas that, you know, make it obvious, make it easy. I can't remember them all. Um, I'm only a quarter of the way through the book and I'm, so I'm halfway through the make it obvious part of it, you know, but it's about forming habits and getting the things done that you need to do. And I am really, really, uh, enjoying it and uh, learning a little bit more about how to get myself to do all of the different things that I want to do. So um, I'm going to pick that. Uh, Mehul, do you have some picks for us? Some things you want to shout out about? Uh, I'm not sure. I, was, I wasn't really sure we had some picks uh, <laughs> moment here. So I didn't did not really come prepared for that. But if you really want me to throw something, I guess I would go with React uh, Native Lottie Library. I'm not sure if you have heard it. It's basically a very nice library which you could use to animate, which you can use to implement very complex animations on React Native. So it's open source. Again, it's from Airbnb only. So it's open source. It's free. I think if you want to implement some sort of nice loaders in your application or you know any sort of animation like uh, your send icon turning into an email, then back into a send, anything you can imagine, you can go with React Native Latte library. I'll just forward the link and uh, you would be able to get a hold of that. Nice. All right. Well, thank you for coming and talking to us. Thank you for having me. All right, folks. So we'll go ahead and wrap this one up and we will have another episode next week. Thank you. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.